WCHD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston, and on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. When you see the ghost of someone who's still alive, what's really happening? What's the real story behind poltergeists? What happens when the investigator was actually the main witness? Well, hello there, everyone, and welcome to the 422nd... That's it, yeah, 422nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Paul, and I'm afraid that Ben is uh, somewhat under the weather tonight. We've had quite a weekend here with uh, two and a half feet of snow, and Ben... Uh, not feeling well at all, and I don't think it was just because he didn't want to shovel. He's going um, to get some kind of thing. He has to go to the doctor about it. Anyway, uh, I'm sure that our guest this evening will begin to turn us around and bring us to uh, better times. And that is, of course, uh, Lloyd Orbach, who's making his debut on the show this evening. Lloyd is a global expert on ghosts and psychic experiences, well-known to everybody in the paranormal. Uh, he earned his B.A. in cultural anthropology from Northwestern University in 1978. Makes him a few years younger than me. And an MS in uh, parapsychology from John F. Kennedy University in 1981. He is director of the Office of Paranormal Investigations, not a government agency, although they haven't got their hands in that yet. And he is a professor at both Atlantic University in Virginia and John F. Kennedy University in California. And he is the creator and uh, instructor of the Certificate Program in Parapsychological Studies at HCH uh, Institute, uh, available both in California and for distance learning. He is the co-author with the late psychic medium uh, Annette Martin, once a guest on this show, of the book The Ghost Detective's Guide to Haunted San Francisco, published in 2011. And he has just become president of the Forever Family Foundation and served on their scientific advisory board for several years. He is a member of the board of the Ryan Research Center and the advisory board of the Winbridge Institute. He was a consulting editor and columnist for Dear Old Fate magazine in 1981-1984, I should say 1991-2004. Lloyd's books include a paranormal casebook, Ghost Hunting in the New Millennium, Hauntings and Poltergeists, a ghost hunter's guide in ghost hunting, how to investigate the paranormal. His first book, ESP Hauntings and Poltergeists, a parapsychologist's handbook, was published in 1986. His book, Reincarnation, Channeling, and Possession, a Parapsychologist's Handbook, is now available as an e-book for Amazon Kindle and BN, uh, Barnes & Noble Nook. On top of all that, Lloyd is also a professional mentalist and psychic entertainer, performing as Professor Paranormal. He has uh, appeared widely in the national and international media, and his main website, www.mindreader.com. Lloyd Orbach, welcome to Behind the Paranormal, finally. Thank you, Paul. How you doing? Oh, well, as they say, we could, but we've been better around here. Uh, I know, I know. So I guess uh, Ben was going to interview the two of us here, but I guess uh, we'll just we'll just talk because uh, I guess we're sort of more or less uh, roughly the same vintage in this field, and uh, perhaps we'll have some uh, interesting uh, notes to compare. Uh, we're often astonished, Lloyd, at how two experienced people can investigate the paranormal and come to a completely different conclusion about something. Uh, because you and I have both been at this for decades but have never talked to each other, oddly enough, we thought it would be interesting to get a discussion going uh, between the two of us uh, and uh, something we might want to do over several shows, actually, because there's you know, so many subjects that we really can't cover right. in an hour. Uh, so let's begin with the bare essentials. What is your definition of a ghost, and how did you come to the conclusion that helped you reach that definition? 
sure. Well, I mean, ghost itself, if you look across culturally, the word ghost is a highly debated, charged term. Uh, I think most people in the U.S. and Britain, when they talk about ghosts, they're, they're, they mean the spirit of someone who has died and is, you know, it just, it's the spirit. So it is the consciousness, it is personality, wherever else. We've been using in parapsychology and psychical research before that the word apparition just because it's a little bit cleaner uh, and because it doesn't have those charges. So I would, you know, when I see the word ghost, I'm, I'm really talking about that, about apparitions. The idea that consciousness can exist or survive without the, the, without the body, so beyond the death of the body. And in the case of the cases we're dealing with, these are consciousnesses or personalities that have not moved on to whatever that other realm is. If there's another realm, uh, you know, what, what mediums talk about is the afterlife. These are these seem to be what some people call earthbound spirits, but they really, you know, people have not passed along, so to speak. But they're still capable of interacting. Okay. This is what I started to have a problem with from day one. And uh, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Like maybe I just don't get it. Uh, but I, I maybe may my, my theological training has, has comes into this because of the... Uh, the physicality that is stressed in the Gospels and everything else, and but I just uh, when I when I started, I guess it was my first case, and there were there were se- seven of us from, or actually six of us from uh, the the seminary who were involved in what was I suppose you might call a ghost hunt, a, a term that I detest by the way, in day long before that term had been coined, and then you 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 yourself started, I'm sure, before that term had been coined. No, not true. That that phrase comes from the late 1800s. No kidding. Yeah. Well, I, I believe something that wasn't true. Well, yeah. there we are. Okay. Uh, you know, and, and well, I, see, I stand corrected just, right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, and j- just let me know, let you know that the uh, model of apparitions, haunting poltergeist, uh, well, poltergeist is a little bit more re- recent vintage, but the other two um, also come from the from the early work and have been kind of the categories, the, mo- the models we're working at, come from a lot of research, a lot of researchers in the 18th, uh, 1800s and early 1900s, not just, certainly not just originating with me at all. Oh no no I didn't I didn't know I didn't uh, suspect that it originated with you but I, uh, probably somebody like Harry Price or somebody like that would have actually you know even before that there's a, a book on Google Books or you can get from archive.org called Historic Ghosts and Ghost Hunters mm-hmm. fairly fairly it, you know it's out of copyright it's uh, I can't recall whether it's late 1800s or early 1900s but that term is an old term. Oh, there we go. Okay. Well, I still don't like it, no matter how old. It I understand. Is. I'm with you. <laughs> anyway, uh, in this, uh, I guess it was my first uh, 1971. Uh, we were in this this uh, lovely wooded area, northeast Connecticut, where there had been an abandoned village. You know the scenario. The people had uh, long since moved out, and all this business, or died out, or whatever. And it just it, it just struck me as as funny that we would hear things like an ox cart driving by. With the wooden sounds, the hoofs, uh, guy yelling, yeah, you know. And I was testing the purgatory theory is what I was doing. That's a long story. But it, it struck me these people weren't anywhere near purgatory. They didn't even act like they were dead at all. Well, and probably. I wondered, maybe, does this have more to do with time than it does with death? And I'm sure you'd agree that some at least might might well, have to what, do with that. Another thing describing? that arose, uh, I'm sorry? I was going to say that what you're describing, though, wouldn't fit into our category of apparitions. What you're describing would probably fit into the more repeated pattern type stuff, what we call hauntings, what like people like to call residual hauntings. Yeah, well, I was one of the early advocates of that, and then, and then I ceased to believe in it. Again, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, but, but, but my question was, you know, how, why, why, when apparitions occur, do we see these people, if they're people, with bodies, you know, driving cars? It just it didn't, 
it didn't, it didn't seem like these theories were good enough to explain the physicality of many of these apparitions well, that's, uh, or, that's or other experiential. Yeah, I understand. The, the, the thing is that our models, uh, you know, are, are based on a lot of things, uh, somewhat based on the witness testimony. So, for example, if you have an apparition being seen, if you're in a room of five people, not everybody's necessarily going to see that ghost. So it's not a physical thing. I mean, we know that the the reason you can't take pictures of ghosts is because there's nothing, the, the eye is not even seeing anything. It is perception. And the thing you've got to remember is that what the eye sees is not actually what is really going on necessarily. That the, the act of seeing is two parts. It is the eye pulling in information through the retina, through light coming in through the eye, and it is the brain actually process, or consciousness processing that in the perceptual process. Consequently, our eyes see things that are actually upside down because the lens in our eye flips that, and our perceptual process, this is a very basic thing, flips it back. So we see things right side up, although there is a disorder where some people do see things upside down because, for whatever reason, their perceptual processing is not happening properly. Mm -hmm. So there is the process of information. This is where the psychic thing comes in. You know, we're dealing with what we call psi or consciousness phenomena. ESP is... is course the most commonly used term for this and when people see an apparition they're not seeing with their eyes or hearing with their ears or smelling with their nose they're picking up information and it is a, almost a form of synesthesia where the information is translated into other sensory type information okay it's almost like it's almost like the signal being added to your to your perception so sure. you have some people who can see the ghosts and some people who can't and some people who can hear the ghosts and some people who can't well, there are implications here that, that, again, maybe this is my philosophy background, too, that, that I, I wonder about. Um, I, ben and I both, and I for a long time, have questioned Western epistemology, how we know what we know. Sure. And uh, people say, aha, but Descartes said, you know, you, I think therefore I am. Well, Descartes on his deathbed said that even that wasn't good enough. He questioned everything, as many great minds throughout history have uh, on their deathbeds repudiated their own words. Maybe they're delirious. Maybe they're just, you know, flay. I don't know. But I just, um, I just think we don't know anything for sure and that we really can't trust anything we see, hear, feel, taste, or touch. Um, so that kind of calls into question some of the premises we might, uh, we might embrace, uh, including some of the, fo the classical formulae here that we might use. I, but, but getting back to, to my original question here about the physicality of things, and I'd like to get your reaction to this, in my opinion... Well, I, I'm not going to give you my opinion. I mean, do you think a person can be his or her whole self without their body? Uh, you know, we that's, that's a really good question. And we have to, you know, we don't quite know when we're talking about survival of death, um, whether or not there is a, tra I guess you could say a change. Think about this for a second. If you were outside your body, and don't have your normal senses. You don't have the normal input. So regardless of what you are outside your body, that's going to change. You're in the kind of like the ultimate altered state of consciousness. So whether you disappear or move on to another existence, another dimension, uh, heaven as some people believe, or Summerland as other people talk about it, we don't know. We only know to have that second hand for mediums and people who communicate to that side. Uh, but is a person the whole person they leave? That's really a single question that is at the heart of what is consciousness. Because oh, yes. yeah. we have 
two, you know, you have a few camps in science in general. You have the truly materialistic camp that tends to think of us, that consciousness is essentially a trick of the brain. We're, we're, we're fooled into thinking, we think. And then you have folks who believe that there's something that is emergent, an emergent property of the brain that develops on its own, that may exist on its own, something called consciousness that way, which could potentially survive the death of the body. And then you have folks who say that something comes into the body, either at conception or afterwards, and kind of rides the body like a horse until that body dies and then gets out with whatever memories he or she learned at that point. So it's, it's a very, very deep question that I, that's one I can't answer. What I can say is that in the communication processes with people having conversations with apparitions, and I'm not talking about necessarily psychics here, I'm talking about average people, that you can often get very specific responses that are not just facts, but also kind of a, a display of like conversational uh, display of personality, the, the way people say things. So mm -hmm. interactive, it is something that seems to be indicating consciousness or awareness. Although the late Bill Roll had a theory that it was all information in the environment and the living people pull that information in and kind of create a hologram, almost like the the computer system on the deck of the of the Enterprise, the holodeck, mm -hmm. creating a, an interactive hologram for you. So, I mean, that is one of the other theories or models that people work with, although that's more on the line of what we call super -tire. Okay, we, we have to take a break. I'm sorry. I, I didn't, you know, anyway, we'll, <laughs> you're so fascinating to listen to. Uh, we will be right back. We are listening to, you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS News Sky Radio. We'll be right back. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons. No boundaries.
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. And welcome back. We have our guest, Lloyd Orbach, well-known to everyone in the paranormal, uh, particularly if you're interested in ghosts and psychic experiences. And we've been talking about the nature of ghosts, and uh, we probably won't resolve that, so we might as well uh, kind of, kind of uh, move on. Uh, I don't know. Our particular point of view uh, there is, is that all this stuff is uh, probably explainable by the multiple worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. Uh, it that seems to be what I've experienced. But I, I wanted to bounce a few things off you uh, that I've experienced and have you sort of interpret one or two things uh, from your own point of view, uh, Lloyd. And we might find ourselves in more agreement than, than, uh, than not. Uh, are you familiar with the, uh, was it the uh, Bellevue Biltmore Hotel in Clearview? I should say Clearwater, Florida? Uh, no, I am not. Okay. It, oh, that's right. You're on the West Coast. Well, this I t- was brought in to uh, speak at a conference there. Uh, several years ago, and it was uh, against my better judgment because it was a conference on beginning ghost hunting. Mm-hmm. And I always advise people, don't do it. You have no idea what you're doing. You know, you don't no idea what you're going to get in contact with. None of these things are what they appear to be. And anyway, but as an illustration of my contention that none of these things is what it appears to be, including a lot of the stuff I believe that comes from mediums and psychics, I was uh, placed in a room there, which, which was supposed to be the most haunted room in the hotel, I was told later. And, uh, you know, I, I take some of this stuff with a pillar of salt, as you can imagine. But uh, be, between the, uh, my, my first and second talks, I had a rather amazing experience in that room. There was um, a man in there, at least this is what, the way I interpret it, who, uh, well, I sort of, he was up kind of by the ceiling, all right? And he said that he essentially, well, or this is what I got out of him, that he essentially was um, there to contemplate whether or not to take his own life. Mm-hmm. He was a guest in the hotel, and uh, everything had gone wrong. His marriage was wrong. His kids hated him. He, you know, he had a drinking problem and all this stuff. And I ended up sort of uh, counseling him, and I like to think that I prevented him from from committing suicide. And But that's that's my kind of experience in this realm. I don't encounter dead people. I don't think there are any such things. Uh, this particular fellow, as I say, um, the, the, the atmosphere in the room got much better uh, on the day before I left. I, I, needless to say, I didn't say anything about this at the conference. My gosh, there would have been chaos. So, uh, I mean, well, how would you interpret that? I mean, was I being duped or, or, or would a psychic who came in and say, oh, some dead guy who did commit suicide being duped? Because I've run into that, too. I've had people tell me one thing and then encountered something entirely different. Uh, and what say you? Well, you know, I we'd have to have a longer conversation about the actual conversation you had and the process. Yeah. Um, I would have actually wanted to find out if there had been a suicide in that, in that room, um, just in the past. Um, there are a number, there are a couple different interpretations to that. One is that you did pick up on a dead guy who, for whatever reason, was in denial that he was dead and you did counsel him. I mean, counseling is, that's the thing is that when you talk to, when we deal with stuff, whether we're working through witnesses or psychics, a lot of times we have to kind of counsel whoever we encounter. Uh, because they're often scared. They don't know what's going on. Um, I will not agree with, with many psychics who say that all ghosts are unaware that they're dead because we have plenty of interactive type stuff that seems to be the opposite of that. Um, but there's often an emotional or psychological reason why those folks are there. So you may have actually just helped that person through um, their process. It, it's possible. You know, there are temporal, time-related kinds of effects that 
we do hear about from time to time. And maybe you were connecting with that guy when he was when he was actually there in the room a couple of years before. So or a couple may, of years after. I mean, or a couple I, years I after, or past couple, and present is nothing. Or, or a couple of years after. That's entirely possible, too. Um, that kind of thing is really, you know, difficult to, to prove out unless you could track the person down, find out he's still alive and, and just kind of verify some information with the person. Um, and then the other, the other, the other possibility would be Bill Roll's idea is that you picked up on somebody who was there, who was thinking about committing suicide, um, and the information's there, but he's not, and your mind just kind of played out a scenario for that. Well, that's possible too. Anything is possible, and th- that's the point. In uh, any quantum physicist who believes it this way, including Fred Allen Wolf, who was on our show and kind of agreed with us on it, that that uh, all things that could possibly exist past present or future do exist simultaneously we just sort of tie into them here and there and that's the nature of the paranormal and the nature of particularly of the psychic experience but i'd be again who, who really knows so uh, th- that was but I, I constantly encounter cases wherein people think aha it's uncle joe you know skipping down the hallway two weeks after his funeral and it just doesn't feel right and i make it known that it's not uncle joe the whole nature of the thing changes because we constantly run into what we refer to as parasites, the things that we think are the origins of our folklore of demons and all this business. And that, of course, um, might get us into the issue of uh, things beyond ghosts, poltergeist, well, possession, that kind of thing. Well, now, poltergeist, you see, we, we look at poltergeist very differently, but I'll tell you that people in our field do not run into those kinds of things. So Maybe they, uh, don't, maybe they don't, aren't equipped to see them uh, because of the dogma. Uh, yeah, you, well, I deal with a lot of psychics and a lot of other people that don't have that same dogma. And, and Well, they have know, their own dogma. Yeah, Maybe so, I have my own dogma, too. I don't know. Yeah. You know, there is, having a conversation years ago with a guy named Tony Cornell, who was one of the leading investigators for the SPR in Britain, mm-hmm. uh, wrote a great book called Investigating the Paranormal. And over, the, over time, he mostly had place memory or these residual haunting cases. He had very few that he would ever consider being uh, aboriginal at all. In fact, in his 50 years, there were like one or two. was about it. Uh, and we, we kind of, and then we were with another longtime investigator and talked about some of the cases that he had. And it seems like it may be that investigators, that researchers in the field uh, bring to them or get involved in, for whatever reason, cases that fit their own perspective or oh, their yeah, own bog- yeah. boggle threshold. So that's possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, though, tell us about one or two cases of your own uh, wh- where you've run into uh, the things that have um, been okay. very interesting or, or helped you learn about this. this well, story. I mean, one of the earliest apparition cases I had actually was in the mid-'80s. You know, I was um, still looking at the models from days gone by from my mentors, my, my professors, and not sure. I didn't know if I believed in life after death actually the same way uh, until this one particular case which really pushed me into looking more deeply, and it, it just was the, the the best solution for the situation. And that was a family that had contacted us at JFK University back when we had a graduate parapsychology program. Um, they were curious because it turned out uh, that the, the woman who called me, her son had been seeing a ghost since they moved into this uh, fairly old house, old for the Bay Area. It was uh, 1917, which means that I, I know everybody on the East Coast is groaning, yeah, that's not very old, but for here it's old. Uh, and they had moved in, and apparently she found out her son was talking to this ghost on a daily basis. Now, the interesting thing is that the woman, her husband, and her mother, who had been visiting every so often and including helping them move in, had separately all seen the exact same ghost, but none of the four were talking to each other about it. And it was the kid, Chris, who brought it up, 
who actually said that I know that you're seeing the, you're all seeing the ghost because the ghost told me. Lois told me this. So she was curious, uh, more from a perspective of a mother who's got a 12 and a half year old who's talked to a ghost every day and wondering if that's okay. Not because they didn't believe him, because they sure did believe him. Uh, and we even had him uh, had a, a session with him and a child psychologist to make sure that he was very well, you know, what his adjustment level was. And if the psychologist had any concerns, and he actually had no concerns, although the guy didn't believe in ghosts himself. So in the visit that we had at the house, uh, the boy told us it was his mother, his grandmother. Uh, the husband was out of town, but we got all of their stories and their sightings. The boy said that from the time that he first uh, saw her and kind of waved at her after she waved at him, he had started having conversations and claimed that she was not only visiting him and talking to him every day and telling him all sorts of stuff about the local area, the, the city of Livermore and its history, but also about her personal, her social life, her life growing up in the house. She had been born in the house and grew up there. Uh, he also told us that she was helping him with his homework. And the interesting thing was his grades had gotten significantly better, even though he was in the same school system. That's, that's an odd coincidence. In the conversation, however, at the end of the session, after Chris took us through a tour of the house, telling us stories about the family and about uh, parties and events that occurred in the home. The, home. the house was a family that was well, I guess, well-moneyed in the area and held a lot of events for the city, mm -hmm. uh, some of which would be easily, you know, you could find them in the history. But there were a lot of stories. The first question I had, we knew that there was a living relative because he was involved in the estate sale, but he was in a facility, assisted living facility, and uh, the mother had not been able to get to him his attorney blocked her. And I got through Chris the information on how to contact him. We got significant amounts of information about the family history, which two weeks later when I met with the guy, he verified. He, he not only verified, he finished every story I started. The second piece was having a conversation with this woman about who she was, what she was, what it was like to die. And the information we got, uh, at the time it would have been hard for him to find any books, uh, even in the library, that would have tied it back to some of the early models for apparitions. But he, he was giving us stuff that just not only fit the case, but fits so much of what we know in parapsychology. And the sightings continued. I mean, there's a lot more that continued after that. But it was, yeah. the interesting thing was, apparently she was afraid we were going to come and blast her out of the house like in Ghostbusters. <laughs> so, she, uh, so Chris told us that she apparently sat in the car. She went to the university and got in the car and rode down with us and then proceeded to ask us each a question about our conversation in the car on the drive to Livermore. Which, the only other explanation for that would have been he was either a super psychic or himself, or they bugged my car. Mm-hmm. Well, so, I, yeah, I see your point. Very interesting. Uh, do you ever, I mean, very often in these situations, I find out that, that the, the ghost thinks that we're ghosts in her house haunting her. Or him, or whatever. Not that, always, that, obviously. Yeah, but. that that's uh, that's come up. In fact, that's even come up in a couple of situations. Um, talk about some uh, cases from Matthew Manning in England, uh, where mm -hmm. he was. Since it was not a, a ghost situation, that it was actually a time slip of sorts. Uh, in this case, and in most of the cases we get, the ghosts are pretty aware that that we're not ghosts; that we're alive. Mm -hmm. And her, so in what fact, are they? Her explanation for why she was there was uh, she died in the hospital. She did not die in the house. She did not die. I mean, she died of cancer, but she, she did not die, like, suddenly. And she just, as she was going, basically dying, she knew she was dying. 
after her life review, which she explained to, to Chris, uh, she said she just really, really, really wanted to go back to her house because she was afraid of what was next. She didn't know if there was a heaven or hell, and she figured, let me go home. You know, I can't take a chance. Well, I've run into that in a way, too, but, you know, I just, it seems, maybe, because you know, it's very easy to get bogged down in terms, but to yeah. me, if he, she, or it was dead, they'd be dead. They wouldn't be having conversations oh, or appearing body, body is dead. Now, see, that's the thing, is our model is a consciousness that can exist on its own. How? There are several models that, that even within physics, there's some physicists that are working on a quantum, I don't know, let's see. It's yeah, the non-locality, yeah. Well, there's the non-locality thing, but there's also a quantum field effect. So that there's a question of, right. well, you know, we, think about it as the as consciousness being the cloud that we're constantly talking about now. Sure, sure. Which really is not residing in the cloud. It's actually residing in devices. So if the, the, the question is a physics model, you know, is there a model for consciousness at all that accounts for all the phenomena, the epiphenomena that are in the brain? And then the second question is, can that exist without the brain? Now, when we talk about dead, we're talking about the body being dead. Clearly, life after death is, is a good phrase in some respects, but it's life after death of the body. It's still life. It's just simply not the same life form that you were because you don't have a body anymore. Well, I think you do have a body, but that's, that's me. Uh, Lloyd, in 1992, you wrote a – just kind of moving us on here because I can see we could do several shows here. Yeah. Uh, you wrote an article in Fate magazine that I really enjoyed reading. I remember I read it when it first came out. Uh, talked about ghosts of the living and, right. and, a, and a really interesting case. Can you tell us about that case? Sure. Uh, and by, again, this is a category that goes back to the 19th century, the Society of Psychical Research. But sure. um, in this case, it was a woman who, uh, well, the report was actually unrelated. Why we went to the house was unrelated to this actual ghost. But in dealing with another situation, which was more uh, recording or place memory kind of thing, we come to find out that the family said, so by the way, should we tell you about our ghost? And they told us about a, a, a little girl's ghost that their kids were playing with, a four-year-old. Uh, their four-year-old and three-year-old sons were playing with this girl, looked up between four and five years old. And they they saw her. The parents saw her. The kids saw her. And it was kind of a regular visit thing, although it was various times of the afternoon, typically, that the ghost would appear. And it was almost every day that this would happen. So in uh, working with this, the house was one of two homes built by some Scottish, two Scottish brothers 80 years before. The other house up the street was still owned by uh, the family of the one of the brothers. And we, with the couple that owned the house uh, that I was investigating, they w went up the street first, they introduced themselves, and then I got involved as well. But essentially, they found out that uh, they got some photos of Scottish brother that built the house that they were living in, her wife and the kids. They found a couple of pictures of the kids. There were two daughters. One of the little girls looked just like the ghost they had seen. So when they went up the street and showed them the pictures to try to talk to them about this, the guy said pretty much. Oh, sorry. We were, I did it again. We have to take another break. We'll be right, right. back behind the paranormal. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New Horizons. No Boundaries. I'm 
CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. And we're back to the wonderful conversation we're having with our guest, author, and parapsychologist Lloyd Orbach. And Lloyd, please pick up where you left off. We were talking about the case of Living Ghost. Yeah, so we went. We uh, with the picture, armed with the pictures of the family, original family. Went up the street. Um, I was introduced to uh, the couple. It was actually, I think, the grandson of the guy who uh, built the house, the other house. And when we showed him the pictures, he and the woman I was with, you know, that I was with the couple. And Susan said, "That's the ghost we're seeing." He said, "Well, I can't be. She's upstairs." And <laughs> they were ta- they were taking care of basically a cousin, who was the daughter of the other brother uh, who lived in that house. That's and her husband had bought. And we did. We started tracking the, talking to the nurse. Uh, the woman was home, it was pretty much home care, home hospice. So she had uh, 24-hour care. We talked to the, to the nurse that was with her. And we were able to tie a connection between the times that the woman was kind of sleeping in the afternoon or on medication and unconscious to the times that she was visited, visiting or at least the little girl's ghost was visiting down the street. And when she woke up, um, we introduced her to Susan and her husband. And what was interesting 
was that the woman immediately recognized Susan. She said, you're the nice lady who lives in my house down the street with the two little boys I play with. And that was without any prompting whatsoever. And she recalled dreaming about going down there. This is the afternoon dream she would have and playing with these two little boys as a little girl herself. Because that was from the time of her kind of her happiest memories in the house. Isn't that interesting? And so, you, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say that uh, we have cases with people in crisis who appear as ghosts. We have cases with people who are out of body or ostensibly out of body. They're having that kind of experience. They're seen as ghosts. Uh, ghosts in the sense that they're seen as someone who then disappears. Uh, typically, actually, when they saw the little girl, they thought she was a real little girl. That's how solid and three-dimensional she looked. So, mm -hmm. I remember our old friend uh, Scott Rogo telling me about a situation where he, they were, he was doing an experiment with Keith Harari. Yeah. And who we also both know. And he the, he was in his house, and they were going to do a deliberate experiment with an out-of-the-body experience that Keith was going to try. And, and Scott actually saw Keith, uh, you know, going down his hallway. Mm -hmm. And when he knew Keith was in, in bed or, or at his own house, so that kind of thing. Yeah. In a case yeah. uh, I ran into in 79, uh, which our listeners are familiar with, I talk about a lot, uh, was in Maine. I was um, just out of grad school and didn't have anything and uh, got a call one day from someone who had been very frightened by their experience in Maine the previous weekend. It turns out that their sister, uh, they were both students at UCon University of Connecticut. Uh, the sister had said, aha, that's my house. Run up to the house. Never, never been there before. Knocked on the door. The woman came to the door, screamed when she saw the girl. This, this girl was haunting their house, so they believed. And she herself had had dreams, very similar to the case you described, of being in the house, doing exactly what the people had seen uh, her doing. And oddly enough, uh, when she, she was dreaming at night, but they were seeing her during the day. And also, she said in this house she had children. It was her house, which, which I kind of didn't, couldn't explain at the time and, and didn't pay much attention to that. But I sent her for the MMPI, and she had uh, no particular issues that needed to be followed up uh, psychiatrically or anything like this. And, and so uh, and then I interviewed the people separately. But as soon as they met on that front, at that front door, all, all, it all stopped. It was like, I suppose you might say, uh, from our point of view, the, the wave function was collapsed and the two worlds right. were joined. So I don't know. That's the way we looked at it. But uh, that, that really shook me up. And I said, what the heck are we dealing with here? That and, and appearing and disappearing buildings, things of that kind that don't involve really people at all or people having these experiences. I don't know. Um, but, but certainly the idea of uh, ghosts of the living, as it's, as it's commonly known, is really a fascinating uh, Fascinating situation. So we, maybe we better move on. We only have a few minutes left. But actually, before we do anything else, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about your books and your website. Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, my main website is mindreader.com, and there's tons of free articles there. Um, in fact, the Ghost of the Living story is actually up on that site. If you go to the Fate Magazine page of the articles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A bunch of other articles there as well. Um, my current book uh, is actually about investigations that Annette Martin and I did and it really kind of talk a little bit about very few cases. It's not a lot of cases in the Bay Area, but the biggest thing about the book that's different is it's really about how a parapsychologist and a psychic medium work together. And there's even transcripts uh, of Annette's communication, you know, at least her side of the communication and our conversations in some of these places. It's kind of like taking people on a little ride with us to those locations. Sure. Uh, if people want to know about a lot of my cases, the best book for that is called A Paranormal Casebook which you can still get on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and has a lot of my cases, including cases that had nothing to do with the paranormal, as it turned out. So things that we actually were able to explain other ways. Sure. Uh, to help people. Okay, uh, very good. Very good. Uh, uh, 
any anything else you'd like to add? Because uh, yeah, I'll just mention that's you know, a big my, chance. <laughs> my my email is on the webpage. People can actually uh, the website. People can get to me that way. It's just simply profparanormal at gmail dot com. But mindreader.com will take you there. And I have another website uh, called hauntedbychocolate.com where I because uh, I'm also a chocolatier, so people want to cool. see a little about that world, part of my world. But uh, on my mind reader site. If you look at the first page, you'll see down the, the column on the right, there'll be a bunch of links, including links to the Ryan Research Center, where I'm currently teaching an investigations class online, a link to HCH, which is where I teach the parapsychological studies program, which is a distance program as well as local, and then places like the Forever Family Foundation and some other really good sources in parapsychology. So I, I encourage you to visit the other sites, uh, especially those of uh, the foundations that are actually doing the really good work. Excellent. Okay. Well, speaking of parapsychologists or anyone working with psychics or mediums, uh, we and we obviously we encounter that a lot. There is a myth, I think, that parapsychologists never wanted to work with psychics and mediums, but they've really been doing it since the 1930s, since the Rhines got started. Uh, before that, actually. Oh yeah. Oh, oh well, yeah. If you think yeah. of yeah, way back into the 19, really when when the psychical research, as it was called, got started, that that's right. how it really got yeah. started. Yeah, and actually, you know, the thing about the psychics working with um, parapsychologists, uh, Ryan actually didn't work too much with gifted subjects, although he ended up with some people who were gifted, uh, because he wanted to show that, that ESP and psychokinesis were actually evenly distributed or were distributed throughout the, the entire population. So for the most part, he avoided working with gifted subjects, although a lot of researchers did, did work with gifted subjects. The biggest issue, honestly, came about in the 1970s because of all the controversy around Uri Geller. Uh, that's when parapsychologists had to back off from working at least publicly with the so-called super psychics because mm -hmm. it, it brought down so much crap <laughs> yeah. on the field. Um, and, and I, I, you know, as much as I like Uri, if he hadn't been around, I, I suspect that the amazing Randy would not have been around either. Sure. Well, I knew Laura Ryan by correspondence when I was just starting mm -hmm. out and uh, she was working a lot with children and ESP and stuff and yeah, they were always frustrated because nobody would take them seriously they were and I, I don't know I got the and I wrote her this once I said I, you know, are you not trying to fit square pegs into round holes maybe we're dealing with a field that is outside of science you know and you strain and sweat to make the scientific method which is totally irrelevant to reality it'll build you a road or get you to the moon but when you get to defining reality it's not going to help you and I, I don't know I just what the Western mind doesn't get it. I would say you. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. Ryan's work was actually um, accepted by a lot of folks in the public and in, 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 even in the sciences in the 50s. And then when the counterculture stuff started happening in the 60s, that's when things started going to hell. Um, Louise's stuff, which was wonderful work, and her daughter Sally continued, Sally Ryan Feather continued mm -hmm. that and published a great book. I don't know about that. Um, Really, Sally um, has done some great stuff, like her mother, yeah. and that's looking at people's experiences in the general public, you know, and those are great experiences. But, you know, the biggest problem I run into um, with parapsychology as a science, I mean, science in general has a lot of different facets to it, no matter what science, but when I talk to physicists, as it happens, quantum physicists are most open to this kind of phenomenon, because they're the ones most open to, to consciousness, whereas psychologists are the least open to it, and if I were to ask a physicist if psychology is a science, a lot of physicists will immediately say no. Yes, that's right. And I'm afraid I have to, I have to interrupt you. I'm not going to miss this break. <laughs> okay. I'll have to interrupt you, Lloyd. We'll come right back to that. But you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS News Sky Radio. We'll be right back. 
Drove downtown in the rain 9.30 on a Tuesday night Just to check out the late night Record shop Call it impulsive Call it compulsive Call it insane But when I'm surrounded I just can't stop It's a matter of instinct It's a matter of conditioning A matter of fact You can call me Pablo Ring a bell and I'll salivate How'd you like that? Dr. Landy, tell me you're not just a pedagogue Cause right now I'm lying in bed Just like Brian Wilson did Well I am lying in bed just like Brian Wilson did CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New skyradio.com. And welcome back. We continue to uh, bumble through our evening tonight. Uh, we're done for the fact that we have a fantastic guest. Uh, I probably would have fainted by now. But in any case, it's Behind the Paranormal. And we're talking with Lloyd Orbach, a renowned author, parapsychologist, and speaker, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Lloyd, why don't you continue uh, what we were saying? We were uh, assuming we're not going to get into poltergeist tonight, but we're continuing to talking, continuing to talk about ghosts and uh, the nature of parapsychology at this point. And uh, I wanted to have you mention as well transpersonal psychology, which has kind of come into the field as well. Yeah, I mean, parapsychology really is um, is really about 
as much science as we can put into it. I mean, science, the problem with science is that science really should be a learning process. You know, I, I talked to many, many scientists who are biased against parapsychology, and certainly that came out when Daryl Bem published his study on precognition last year in the journal Personality Studies. You had scientists climbing out of the woodwork, academics saying um, all sorts of crazy things about the results without having read the paper and even saying that they wouldn't read the paper if it was stuck in front of them because it couldn't possibly be true. And that's the <laughs> problem you run into, uh, you know, with any field. But then again, as I mentioned earlier, if you ask people in the hard sciences, if psychology or sociology is a science, they'll say no. And parapsychology, frankly, is a soft science. It is a, a um, social science because we are dealing with human experience. But on the other side of that, something you commented on at the very beginning of the show Paul, is that everything we know is subjective. There is no objective, I mean, there is objective data if, if the data exists on its own, but our perception of that data is purely subjective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So everything's filtered. What is the future of parapsychology, in your opinion? It really, you know, it really depends. We're going to be plotting along and trying to understand, uh, A, how to apply psychic experience, which is being done in some, some areas, uh, but we're really trying to get better understanding of what the psychic process is. This is something that's been going on for quite some time. Uh, we don't have a lot of research funding, which means that we have very few people in the field around the world that's, that are doing work. So it's kind of hard to come out with some new stuff. But there's some great research being done with spirit mediums by the Winbridge Institute and others, uh, which is incredibly well controlled and coming out with some great information, including looking at how mediums fit in with the grieving process. And that's one of the interesting things that's been coming out, even from psychology, is that uh, looking at the psychology of grief, which is a very, very minor thing in the field of psychology, there have been some very helpful studies around working with spirit mediums and how that's actually helped people with the grief process. Well, it's very interesting you bring that up because I noticed your association with the Forever Family Foundation, which has a very good reputation among... Some people in this area who lost fan, uh, or children or loved ones in the uh, station nightclub fire in Rhode Island in 03, the 10th anniversary of that is coming up. And uh, 100 people died, as you probably remember, it was in the news all over the place. And uh, we had a book come out of that, uh, 41 Signs of Hope, uh, by Dave Kane, who was one of the uh, leaders of the people who were you know, trying to grieve and seek justice and things of that kind. And uh, he uh, mentioned uh, how much the Forever Family Foundation had helped him. Could you tell us about that organization? Sure. It's a foundation that was formed by a couple who had lost their daughter in an accident. And, uh, and, and Bob, actually, Bob Ginsburg, who's uh, kind of the CEO of the, of the organization, he didn't believe in this stuff at all. But through a series of connections, you might say, with a friend of theirs was seeing a medium who actually had a message for them from their daughter. And the communication from this medium and then from subsequent mediums helped them so enormously through their process of grief that they realized that there are other people that could use that kind of help as well. And so they started uh, working with mediums, they started working with families and formed this foundation as a support organization to bring mediums into the process, the grief process, as much as possible, uh, where it made sense. And they do not discount the role of mental health practitioners either, either by the way. And this, uh, it's not mediums or mental health. Sure, mediums. yeah. Uh, they began a certification program, which is not 
you know, as controlled as what the Winbridge Institute's done in terms of scientific process, but it's been a fairly good process of identifying ethical and capable mediums, especially ones that would work well in the grieving process. And they continue to support the scientific research and have an annual conference, in fact, with uh, researchers presenting various information about evidence for the afterlife or evidence of survival of bodily death, the work in mediumship research, and so on. Uh, they're just a wonderful organization. They do a lot of work on the East Coast, of course, because they're centered on Long Island. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm out here in the West, I'm trying to kind of beef up our Western representation, so to speak. Good. Okay. Well, that that's the question for another show is uh, how do you tell whether what you're receiving through a medium is legitimate or what is not? How does the medium tell? That is because good we question. constantly find uh, mines and pitfalls in there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay. Well, uh, Lloyd, we're just about out of time. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, uh, somehow our paths never crossed all these years, but now they have, and I hope we'll be friends. And uh, Lloyd Orbach, everybody, and uh, we will have him back very soon. So, Lloyd, thank you so much. Thanks, Paul. Okay, talk to you soon. You bet. Okay. Okay, we are um, coming to the end of the show here. I want to thank our producer, Brandon Jackson. And we will see you right here next week, February 17th, when uh, we will welcome, hopefully Ben will be back, uh, our good friend, author, and paranormal researcher, Murray Silver, for a discussion of ghosts and disease. That's kind of an interesting subject. And uh, we refer you also to our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. You can get all sorts of information about our um, guests, past, present, and future, uh, nearly 450 free podcasts. You can also buy my books on the site. And if you do it there instead of on Amazon or somewhere else, it will help us keep the site free. So, again, that's BehindTheParanormal.com. But Ben and I also have a site newenglandghosts.com that's newenglandghosts with an s dot com and what that uh, will give you is uh, lots of free articles and things of that kind from our particular point of view uh, some cases and case photographs uh, some information on the uh, cases we talk about on the show particularly especially this really wild one that's going on in central Connecticut in the vicinity of where these terrible events occurred at the school of Newtown and things of this kind uh, UFOs, military activity, you name it it's involved in this case somehow and you can find that at newenglandghosts.com and it does. it is limited to the New England states, cases I've worked on over the decades there uh, by state and under the under Connecticut. You could find uh, that, that particular information along with uh, many others. So we refer you to that site as well. So in the, uh, in the meantime, uh, tune into our Boston Providence Drive Time show on WON 1240 AM and onworldwide.com, 6 p.m. Eastern Time every Monday. And again, uh, the 450 free podcasts are available. We did do a show on evil the nature of evil on our uh, Monday show at one point and uh, the podcast mysteriously disappeared and they were usually very careful about that. But uh, we just uh, will probably do the show again on uh, CBS uh, new sky here and we'll see if we can't uh, get it recorded for you because uh, people found it very interesting. We're listening live. So we'll try and do that as soon as we can. So we leave you this evening with a quote from the great scientist and author Carl Sagan somewhere. Something incredible is waiting to be known. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time.